Um, tell me a little bit about the CAP panel and why you guys have done that program and which, what's part of your aim in doing that? Yeah, so the CAP panel um, has been around, I think predates my time at NIPSCO. And the point of these, and we have them situated all over our service territory, the point of it is we want a cross-section of folks in the community that are you know, leaders in all different ways or have a, a, a variety of insight into what's going on in those communities. And then they can provide feedback to us uh, around, you know, if we have an idea, we have a strategy, or we have a change that we want to bring forward, they can give feedback to us around, you know, how it might land, things we should consider, things unique about their community that we should, that we should take into account. And then, uh, on the other hand, they can also bring us ideas, yeah. right? Because, you know, we haven't arrived, we don't know it all, and, and we clearly mess up sometimes, and, and we want to get that feedback so we can go back to the organization and say, hey, we didn't do as well here as we wanted to. Let's figure out how to fix that. Let's yep. figure out how to improve it. it. It's a way to ultimately have that communication going back That's and right. forth. That's right. How, um, the part that I like to touch on the most in these interviews is sort of the leadership life part. Who taught you to be a leader? Who'd you get inspiration from? <laughs> you know, what, what did you learn? What did you not learn? Like, how did you get to this point? There's a training that becomes for anyone to lead an organization, and it usually comes back to there's a couple of people that had a big impact on you. Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, first and foremost, you know, growing up, I just had, I just grew up with a great family, a great set of parents that, that always encouraged us uh, that always challenged us um, and, you know, kind of, you know, just sort of said, hey, look, you know, you can be whatever you want to be, yeah. right? You know, we're here to support you. And it didn't, it didn't really, they didn't measure us on success, right? They measured us on what kind of people we were, yeah. right? And encouraged us to do that. And, and then as I, as I grew up and, and, and started working, you know, I've just been blessed with some really, really good mentors, really good leaders along the way. And I would call them almost informal mentors, right? right. We have some formal mentoring programs that we utilize, and I've been in some of those over my career. Um, but I would say more informal mentors, good, good leaders that I worked for that did two things. One is um, they saw something in my capability and they gave me chances that I wasn't ready for. They gave me opportunities that I wasn't quite ready for. Yeah. And but uh, you know they felt I could I could do it yeah. right. Uh, and you know and, and secondly, um, they didn't they didn't give me that opportunity. And then you know you sort of look around and nobody's there right. They they were always there to support me right. They are always there to make sure that um, I got good feedback and I got good coaching and. And I got, you know, I could learn from their experiences, you know, and the like. And, and I think those two things, and I think the, the last thing is that I see a lot is um, that at some point, you know, you can have a, a, a strong family network. I, I say that I've got the most patient wife uh, on the planet. If you're 100% sure about that job you're about to take, you wait yeah. too long. Yep. <laughs> you've, you've, you've missed yeah. opportunities in your career. Uh, because, you know, even as, even as well prepared uh, as I felt for this role, because I'd been with the organization, I knew the people, I'd been in, you know, sort of all the various areas, 
hey, there's still Until a level. Until one, you have no That's idea. right. There's a, still a level of unsureness that comes around, if that's a word, unsureness. But it, it, it's like, hey, look, all right, it's different now, yeah. right? All, you know, a week ago, the buck stopped right there. <laughs> you know, I may have been along the path, but the buck stopped right there. Today, it's it here. stops here, and there's, there's, you know, there's a weight that comes with that. And, and, and so it's like, hey, look, you know, you, you got to be... You got to be confident in yourself that that um, you know you can figure it out because you got such a good team with you that you don't have to have all the answers, right? Yeah. You just need a bunch of good people that can figure out the answer. But you got to trust that guy or gal along the way that just said, "Hey, listen, I know you can do this. Yeah. I know you can. That's I got right. faith you can do this. The That's next right. stop, the next stop, the next stop." That's right. And it's been it's it's just it's worked out well that way. What are you looking for in your next leaders, in the people you're training to be the next case of West Virginia, <laughs> Northwest Indiana running the power company? Yeah, you know, here's something that you talk about what you've learned over, over a career and, and how things have changed, et cetera. You know, one thing that, that um, I've learned as I think about that next set of leaders is there's actually more value uh, to the organization long-term uh, in um, looking for leaders that are less like me. I mean, that are, yeah, that are less like me than more like me. Okay. Uh, finding that good, diverse mix of leaders in the organization that are bringing experiences from, whether it's from their background, from their upbringing, from where they're from around the region or around the yeah. world, bringing that diverse mix to work and us enabling a culture that makes that how we want to operate, yeah. right? Not what we want to suppress, how we want to operate. And holy cow, you find these people that because of those experiences and backgrounds and differences, they bring such good ideas that, that if you had this sort of uh, cadre of folks around you that, that looked like you, walked like you, yeah, talked like yeah. you, thought like you, all of a yeah. sudden we, go, we convince ourselves that we can't be wrong, yeah. right? And that we all got all the good ideas and, and being able to seek out those leaders and bring them in that have different backgrounds, perspectives, and make an environment where that's okay to bring up a dissenting opinion and those type of things, yeah. holy cow, we're so much better. And I want those type of leaders to excel in that next generation. And enabling that environment is something I try to work on more and more every day, right? Because it's, it, if, if you've- It doesn't been, happen naturally. That's right, it I've been in, I've been in a leadership position of some sort since I was probably 20, 24 years old, yeah. and really early in my career, which is great because it's taught me a lot about people, and, and that's really where leadership is about, is about people, right? It's not about how smart you are or how much you know. It's about how you can interact with people and, and, and you, you know, how you shift your style based on the person, person you're working you're with, right? It's kind of like a coach, right? Yeah. Some people need a pat on the, on the back, and some people need a kick in the tail. And, and you, as a coach, you got to know which one of those uh, is going to react in a certain way based on how you engage with them, right? You know, some people, if you get in their face, they're, they're they, they, oh, they're, they're, they're done, right? They're cratered. Others, that motivates them, right? You know, it's sort of a, a similar analogy, and being able, to, being able to do that, you know, I've been in leadership long enough to do that, but again, what that also does sometimes is, um, you know, you, you, you find yourself listening so that you can formulate your response instead of listening to hear what they're saying. Yeah. Right, and understand where they're coming from, what's their perspective, and 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 I still today continue to work on, you know, I got a little card in my office that I keep, uh, you know, near my computer monitor that reminds me 
to listen to what they're saying, right? Even though I've been around the block a couple of times, listen to what they're saying, right? What, what are they asking, right? What are they sharing with you versus listening to be able to, to Yeah, to, to, you're thinking, to come well, back, they just said right? that and I'm ready for and, the and comeback or yeah. I'm ready to help right. them explain that it's not that That's way. Right. That's and right. you're ultimately saying, I wanna listen so I actually know how do you see this? That's right. That's right. And that's not always an easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, tell me about, and, and it could probably go on for an hour, but yep. tell me about your experience. You were named um, NIPSCO president during the pandemic. You've essentially had to, you know, grab a hold of this organization and all of its tentacles while doing all of that, you know, not necessarily seeing everybody yep. day to day, getting to know them. Um, tell me a little bit about the journey to get here, Thurston. Yeah, so it's it's so funny. I mean, I, if I think back and I get asked that question, you know, pretty, pretty regularly. And so I've had time to reflect on it over the years. And it's so funny if I just think about, you know, I was born right in the, right in the in the peak where Western Virginia, the state of Virginia, where it comes down and meets West Virginia and Kentucky, and it's literally in the Cumberland Gap, right where Daniel yeah. Boone, you know, headed to Kentucky. I mean, came right through there, and and just sort of in the middle of nowhere. A great place to grow up, a great community, but you know, it's sort of like the middle of nowhere, right? And it's like, how does this kid? you know, end up in Northwest Indiana and, you know, with the privilege that I have and the responsibility that I have. And, you know, it, it was, it, you know, life sort of takes you along this journey, right? But, but I had the opportunity uh, as I was in engineering school, I had the opportunity um, because there was a large coal-fired power plant right near my house. Well, we, we had moved to West Virginia when I was, when I was 13 and, and there was a large coal-fired power plant near my house and I had the opportunity to um, apply and get an internship uh, while I was in engineering school in the summer at this power plant, right? Okay. So that's how I got introduced to the utility industry, right? Yep. And, and, and power generation and electricity generally. And, and then that sort of took me on this path. I, I spent 16, almost 16 years at, a, at American Electric Power. So if, yep. you're, if you're out in South Bend, Fort Wayne direction, and you know, Indiana, Michigan Power, that's a subsidiary of, of AEP. I spent 16 years there and worked all over their system from from Arkansas and, and Louisiana, back through West Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky, and, and just got to travel and see and learn, had a lot of good mentors. And, and so one of my mentors uh, that worked at AP at, the, AP at the time, he got recruited uh, to NIPSCO in 2010. Okay. And so that's, that was my connection. They had a, we, we were getting ready to do these big environmental retrofits down at our Schaefer facility and significant investment. And, and I happened to have had a lot of experience with that. With that, uh, and so you know that's how the connection was made. I ended up here, and I had an opportunity to move over and run the operations side of the business, uh, and then did that for a few years, and then um, had the uh, opportunity next to go and run our regulatory and our government affairs and our strategy team, which. Wasn't my, you know, I was like a construction that wasn't guy. Your normal you know, I'm this yeah. guy that like, you know, like sort of, you know, like farming and, you know, working on stuff and just, you know, being outside and, and in all fairness, they, you know, they said, hey, look, we think this is going to be a really good experience for you. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a try. And, you know, I found out, uh, I tell people, I found out two things from that experience. I spent a bunch of time in Indianapolis and found out two things from that. 
at first I thought that the regulatory folks just, you know, all they did was talk for a living, you know, yep. and that kind of thing. And, and um, what I figured out was it was a lot harder than I gave them credit for. Uh, yeah. and so I had to learn from that. And the second thing is I was able to make relationships and friends and contacts that in, in my prior path I would not have naturally run into those folks and, and realize that how, you know, just really good people that we have in Indiana, some of our legislators that I've got to know on both sides of the aisle, yep. just what super people they are. And, you know, we get so, we can, be, we can easily get dismayed and a little discouraged by what we see in Washington, D.C. and sort of how it comes to us anyway, right? I'm not with those people day to day, but how it comes to us. But I can tell you at the state legislative level, you know, folks are, they are, they are 100% about what do we think is best for Indiana. So, so that, that, that sort of rounded out that sort of ability to understand the business, yeah. you know, from all different areas. Uh, and then, so when they offered me the, the, the job as president, it was like, okay, well, we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? So the yeah. first thing I always like to do when I take over is meet people, a new rally. Is meet people. Yeah. yeah. Go out and see people you and talk to anybody. them and listen and hear. And, and it was like, well, okay, well, we just now we have to, yeah. you know, sit you at could home zoom or them. wear yeah. a mask and, and, and do these things. And, and, but, but we did okay. Yeah. You know, we did okay. And, 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 you know, the number one thing that I focused on and I focused the team on was listen, we have men and women that every day they don't have the option to sit at their home office either either new or yeah. newly formed uh, and you know zoom in and complete their work right they they are they're out there every day on the front line with a with a virus that we didn't know much about at the time yep. and um, we have to make sure that our number one thing every day is support them. is support them yeah that's, that's what we got to do and make sure that they can go do their job and you know what I go out and talk to them. I go out and visit them in the field and talk to them. They weren't bothered by it, yeah. right? They knew, hey, look, this is what we do. Uh, you know, we're managing fine. You know, they, you didn't hear the first complaint. As a matter of fact, I think they liked the fact in many they ways could go out. that they were outside. Yeah, yeah, you know, and they were yeah. they were in the fresh air. And they weren't they weren't crammed up. And we had to adjust operations a little bit, but but you know, our reliability uh, continued to improve through the pandemic. Our customer service and customer satisfaction metrics continued to improve through the pandemic. And that's just a testament to the, that people just, you know, they stepped up to the challenge. They didn't let it get them down. They didn't let it overwhelm them. Uh, and I just think that's really cool. You guys are making um, a real significant investment, transition, migration um, from coal to solar, wind, mm -hmm. um, alternative, you know, greener forms of yep. energy. Tell me what that whole Your Energy, Your Future campaign began as and what does it really mean for the people that you're serving? Well, 2018, we kind of came to a crossroads where we had some aging coal facilities. Uh, a lot of those coal facilities um, were being operated in a fashion in, in which they weren't originally designed, i.e. Okay. they were originally designed to turn them on, bring them up on load, and just let them run until it's time to go do maintenance. And then let them, you know, and that could be days, weeks, months on end, right? Yeah. That they just would run. Well then, 
as we start to introduce more uh, uh, markets and, and market type of, of energy, that, again, that's a whole other complex subject that, that, that uh, we could cover sometime. But the reality is it's good for customers because it creates more of a competitive market for energy. Yeah. But what it did for these coal facilities was that as gas prices started to come down, the coal was less competitive because they had a higher fixed cost and a little bit higher variable cost. And so they would run up and down you know, more often be off more often, and they're just not designed to do that. So you had a cost structure issue that was built to it. You're adding more environmental controls that that cost money, but yep. didn't create electricity. Yep. Right? Actually, used electricity. So, yep. so you just had all this sort of compounding issue that really, you know, started with um, low natural gas prices and sort of the fall off from where when fracking really took off, and we were able to move gas and have cheap gas. And so, as we did this analysis, what we figured we we, we sort of had this notion that the analysis was gonna show that, hey, these select coal units need to retire and you need to build some gas to replace it. But as we wanted to be more transparent with this process and, and working with our regulators and others to bring more stakeholders in, have public meetings, get public input, one of the things that we always sort of um, had disagreement about over time amongst various groups was you use sort of these engineering study type numbers to say, here's what the cost of all these different forms of energy, whether it be nuclear, gas, renewable. And so we said, hey, look, we're gonna eliminate that argument. We're gonna issue a request for proposal for replacement generation, okay. and you know, we'll give them the criteria we need, and we'll see you know, who comes we'll see back who comes with the best back. price, right? And so when we did that, we were quite surprised to see that from even from 2016, when we had run our last IRP, it used to be every two years, from 2016 to 2018, how the cost of renewables had reduced significantly. Yeah. I mean, we're talking significantly, right? And so all of a sudden, a lot of these renewable assets um, were creating a significant cost advantage over time. Remember these things last 30, 40 years? Yep. Significant cost advantage over time for customers. And so we said, hey, we got to pivot. Yeah. We got to look at this differently. And so that was the beginning of it. Uh, and we've been able to uh, move along that journey. We're almost on faith. You know, we're, we're sort of overlapping phase one and two now because we had our 2021 IRP. But long and short of it is, you know, we've got, we got three new wind facilities in service today. The, the last one just went in service in December, operating very well. We've kicked off the construction of some very large solar facilities. One of them is just in the shadows of our Schaefer facility down in yep. Wheatfield. And the beauty of that was we were able to work with the developer there and situate it in the same tax district as where Schaefer was, because think about it, rural area, that plant goes down, that's a significant portion of their tax base. I think Absolutely. I think if I remember the number right, it was something like 40% for that school district, something like that, right? So that's a big hit. So we're able to situate this new facility there and help replace that tax base, right? So it's sort of a win-win for the community, win for us, win for customers. And people are always worried about reliability, like, hey, what yeah. about when wind doesn't blow? Yeah, that's true. It's an intermittent resource. We're pairing some storage with that. Okay. Uh, some some battery storage with that, but also we're going to still have, you know, a significant portion of our, of our portfolio that is sort of very traditional natural gas-based generation that's there that backs up those renewables that sort of fills in those peaks and valleys, yep. uh, and um, we think it's just a really good sort of optimized combination for customers over time that gets us an environmental benefit, uh, which is which is good. Uh, it reduces our carbon footprint, it reduces our cost structure yep. over time, but still has that commensurate reliability that is absolutely the very first thing that we always look at. And it's based on a 
modern technology use right. of energy systems that is a heck of a lot more refined than when that plant was built. That's, that's exactly right.